two, foot fly. Welcome to the Ditching Perfection podcast, a podcast that will help you pursue wholeness in Jesus rather than trying to have it all together. I'm your host, Carly Bartlett, and along the way, we're going to have some raw conversations and share some practical tips that will remind you to throw some confetti and celebrate yourself. Your inner critic does not have to be the dominant voice in your life anymore. Hey friends, before we dive into this week's episode, I have to ask you, have you taken my perfectionist character quiz yet? It is a brief three minute personality assessment, which I mean, who doesn't love those? I think they're so fun. And at the end of the quiz, you will be matched up with a character from pop culture who has a lot of similarities to you. You'll read a little bit about your perfectionist tendencies, personality strengths, and I also include a few spiritual practices to help you pursue wholeness in Jesus rather than trying to have it all together. So the quiz is one, super fun, and two, practically helpful. And these are two of my goals for any resource that I create. So stop what you're doing right now, hit pause, and take a three-minute break and hop on to carlycommunicates.com slash resources and take that perfectionist character quiz. Well, as we dive into today's episode, I want to read for us Romans 7.15. Paul writes this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate what I do. Okay, isn't that so relatable? Because sometimes we find ourselves getting frustrated at our loved ones, possibly exaggerating the truth, trying to escape a difficult situation. And, you know, when we do those things, we wonder what is motivating our behavior. Well, today, my friend Steve Carter is here on the podcast to talk to us about his book, The Thing Beneath the Thing. And you guys, I just love and appreciate this book so much. And in the book, Steve talks about triggers and habits and narratives that are powerfully rooted beneath the surface, how we can recognize them and step into greater levels of wholeness. He talks about that in the book, and we are talking about all of that today on the podcast as well. And I think this is super applicable for us perfection ditchers because I don't think we really want to be perfectionists, right? We don't want to give people-pleasing power in our workplaces or our friendships or our families, but these sneaky habits, they weave themselves into normalcy. So I think this episode today will be helpful and encouraging And I hope that you pick up Steve's book if you haven't already read it. It's awesome. But I want to tell you a little bit real quick about Steve. Steve is someone who I have learned from and respected for a long time. I listened to him regularly while he was the teaching pastor at Willow Creek. And I watched him from afar handle difficult situations in his church with great integrity and honor. And this guy is someone that I just deeply, deeply respect and admire. I've learned so much from him about preaching and communicating, but also about character. I'm so thankful for him. And like I said, I I feel like I was greatly impacted from him or by him 
online for years listening to podcasts and watching sermons. But then a few years ago, Steve came and spent a week with us at the church where I was serving at the time. And Mike and I picked him up from the airport in our in our old clunky car, <laughs> took him out to lunch and chatted for a few hours about preaching, about women in ministry, which he is so supportive of. And of course, he and Mike talked a lot about the NBA. They're two mega basketball fans. But Steve is a pastor, an author, a frequent speaker at churches, conferences, camps, and events all over the country. And he's currently a teaching pastor at Forest City Church in Elgin, Illinois. He's the host of the Craft and Character podcast as well, where he helps people get better at the art of communication while also ensuring that their character always leads the way. And Steve lives this out. Steve lives in Chicagoland with his wife, Sarah, and their two kids. And let me tell you, Steve is the real deal, you guys. You're going to just glean so much from him. He is authentic. He's willing to make hard choices to stand with those on the margins. Like I said, he's one of the most incredible communicators of the gospel that I've ever heard. And he's quick to call out the best in others and be an encourager. And I am so grateful to call Steve Carter my friend. So get ready to to take some notes. You may even want to listen to this episode twice, seriously, because it is jam-packed full of important words of wisdom that will remind us to pursue wholeness in Jesus rather than trying to have it all together. Well, hey, Steve, welcome to the Ditching Perfection podcast. Carly, it's so good to be with you. I'm just so excited that you're here. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. And I just recently finished your book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, which we'll talk about, but I just feel like it's so applicable for the podcast. So just really looking forward to a conversation. But you just told me you're in Dallas. What are you up to in Dallas? Uh, This past weekend, I was teaching in Houston. And then this week, I am here in Dallas uh, with the Salvation Army. They're having a a huge conference. And so uh, they have me kind of speaking to uh, their crew. And so um, not very often you get to spend time in a place that's both hot and humid and doesn't have a great football team. So I'm excited to be here and try and bring some, some joy and good news. So that's hilarious. I was in Dallas like two weeks ago, speaking at an event and Mike said, Carly, whatever you do, do not bring me any Cowboys gear back. <laughs> I love your husband. He, he got me a Carhartt um, shirt and I still wear it all the time. I always oh, think of good. you guys and say a prayer for you guys. And so, oh, yeah. Oh, that's so great. Well, we, we love you and are grateful for you. And like I was just saying when, before we hit podcast recording, you know, you've been someone that before I even knew you in a, in a friendship way, we listened to your, your teachings when you were at Willow and we're still listening to the podcast and all the things, but then was it goodness, 2018, 19, you and I uh, actually met in person when you came yeah. to a women's speakers collective event in Phoenix. That's right. And then you came to our church right before COVID and our to our church in Idaho and spent the week with us and our staff. And that was just so great. And we just are appreciative of you and the ways that you are so authentically leading and uh, living out your faith and bringing many people along the journey on the journey, which is just wonderful. So thank oh. you for who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's very, very kind. And uh, it's, it's, I think one of the joys is you get to cross paths 
um, with yeah, like-minded people, you know, and uh, the great Henry now and tells this story about an old student of his who um, happened to be in town, w- snuck into a, his class, came up afterwards and said, Hey, Dr. Now, uh, are you free for lunch? And now it actually was. And so they went and they spent all of this time together at this lake talking and it was like two hours. And mm. at the end of it, the, the former su- student looks at Dr. Nowen and says, Dr. Nowen, when, I, when I'm with you, I feel as if I'm in the presence of Christ. And it was like, Nowen was like taken back by it, but he responded, it's the Christ in you that recognizes the Christ in me. And, oh. and, and I think, I think what's one of the most moving moments is when you get to be around uh, like-minded people in different parts of the country or world. And you just see uh, the Christ in them um, just being embodied and flourishing and really stepping into their own. And so getting to know you has been, you know, and others along this, you know, kind of season has been uh, one of the highlights for sure. So grateful for you, my friend. Thank you so much. We're grateful for you and glad to have this conversation today. Um, But before we dive in, will you just tell our listeners, in case they have not yet crossed paths with you, just a little bit about you. And you mentioned this season, what you're up to in this season specifically. Yeah, a lot of male modeling, um, <laughs> uh, hand model. Uh, no, um, I'm a I'm a pastor, a writer, preacher, kind of coach, and someone who um, spiritual gift is trash talk when it comes to sports. Um, <laughs> I uh, I'm in this season where I was at a you know fairly well-known church in Chicagoland and some situations kind of came to light and I ended up stepping out. Mm -hmm. Um, Not, nothing, nothing like involving me, um, but a mentor of mine. And so I stepped out and um, we really loved our little neighborhood, but um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt like God said, go to the desert and wait for instructions. And Mm. I'm a, I'm an achiever. I'm, I'm someone who wants to attack goals and uh this podcast title that you know that you have i i feel like i need uh for myself and um and i was i was in such a state of shock of all that had transpired Mm -hmm. that i was looking okay what what's the next thing what's the next thing what's the next thing what's the next thing and i felt like god was like go to the desert which i was like okay okay it's like some metaphor you want me to slow it down great so I started journaling and I feel like uh, I'm right. The phrase, you can't achieve your way out of this. You can only grieve your way through it. And I realized mm-hmm. I didn't have muscles for grieving. And so the next morning, my wife wakes up. I, I tell her what I like sensed or felt and, and she just teared up and she just said, I've been sensing the same thing. I, I just want to go home. And she's originally from the Phoenix area. And so I was like, Oh, the desert was literal. And so we moved there and we've been, we were there for about three, three and a half years. And I just read a ton about monastic living, about the desert's mothers and fathers. The, I just learned a ton about how to be shaped and formed and actually learn how to grieve. And, Mm -hmm. and then out of, um, out of nowhere, one of the big things we try and do with our kids, we have a 14 year old and a nine year old is to teach them agency. I don't feel like I, I was really taught how to name my desires. I knew Mm -hmm. what my parents desired and I just tried to live up to that. I didn't know how to actually get into my own body and and access. No, this is, this is what I like to do. This is what I think God wants for me. 
I just knew how to be codependent without that language or to people please with that language. Yeah. And uh, I've been trying to teach my wife and I've been really trying to teach our kids. Like, what do you desire? It's okay. You can name it. Doesn't mean that it always will happen, but what do you desire? And so we kind of shared with them, Hey, we can move anywhere and where you want to, where, where do you start high school? Emerson, our oldest, Mm -hmm. um, we'll stay, we'll stay. And with, without missing a beat, our kids said, uh, we want to go back to our old neighborhood Mm. in Chicago. And it, it totally shocked me. Like I, I don't know very many people who move back to their personal Chernobyl. And so Mm -hmm. we, uh, six weeks ago, uh, moved back and it's been, um, an absolute delight. We showed up, I was driving my wife and and two kids, uh, they flew and I was driving the puppies, but when they showed up, there was a bunch of kids outside and one kid had walked uh, his younger siblings bike and his dad's bike over so that my kids would have bikes to ride. And I was like, the kingdom of God is so near and children get it. They get it. They get it. So, so yeah, so I'm continuing to write and teach and uh, coach communicators and, and trash talk when it comes to sports and trying to (laughs) figure out how to, how to live this life uh, in the best possible way. Hmm. That's so great. I love hearing just the story quickly of redemption and restoration, but knowing there's gotta be so many layers to that and that your kids were a part of that. Like, did you feel like you, they almost gave you some of their, their courage was contagious. Like for you and Sarah to be like, okay, let's go, let's go back. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I think so. I mean, it's, it's, I think when they were able to name their desire, Mm -hmm. it allowed me to even access, access my own desire. Cause I think, I think, um, it, it, it was a place that was filled with such beauty and sadness and, um, uh, but I, I love the Midwest. I get the Midwest. And, mm-hmm. and really when you flip through the scriptures, um, I think in our culture, we teach that, you know, like you've been given a spiritual gift or you have this opportunity with this job um, or you have this financial, you know, moment. And so, so you got to take advantage of it or you got to climb this ladder because it makes the most efficient um, sense for your future. But it, when you look through the Bible, God called people to places. Mm-hmm. And I realized in all of my travel to different parts of the country, getting to preach and teach, you know, it, it would work and I would teach and I would like, I'd like what the content I got to share and I liked the people, but there was something about the Midwest that when I was there, I felt so comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just understood the people and, yeah. and I realized it like something about it allowed for the best parts of me to come alive. And I think when my kids named that, it was, oh, wow. And I actually called a friend, you know, because it's fascinating. Like you look at a lot of the desert mothers and fathers and old like leaders way, way back. It, you know, it was like Francis of Assisi. There was an of to a place because that place was so connected to their name. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and I, and I called my friend who wrote this book called the power of place, Daniel Grothy. And I was talking to him and I'm like, am I crazy? And he's like, go through the Hebrew scriptures. God was always calling people back to rebuild and restore the ancient Mm. ruins. And I, it just, it just 
yeah, it spoke to my heart. And, um, but I don't think I could have got there without my kids naming it. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's so great. So when you think about like the desert season and all that you were reading and gleaning and, and really processing with God, and you talked about learning to flex those grief muscles, what were some things that you feel like are now foundational experiences or, or things that you learned with God that you just know are, are going to propel you into this next season that you're hanging on to? Yeah, well, the deserts, you know, comes from the concept of the deserted place. Yeah. And, you know, even even um, if you you were to look into a, an accurate, like, Hebraic translation of the Old Testament, especially the Torah. So you have like mm-hmm. uh, Genesis, which would be Bereshit, which is like in the beginning, right? And so the origin story. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have Exodus. Well, then we go to Numbers, right? Genesis, Exodus, or it goes to Leviticus, then it goes to Numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we see it as like this sense of oh, we're counting the, the people that are there, the census per se. We're really numbers in Hebrew is actually in the desert. That's what they call it. So mm. it's, it's like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus in the desert and then Deuteronomy. And oh. so w- what I think is really, really amazing is like, there's something in our culture that wants to bypass the desert at all costs. Totally. Right. Yeah, so totally. even in, even in our Easter story, right. We, we can celebrate, you know, Palm Sunday. We do an okay job at Holy week. We do a really great job at good Friday. We don't even touch silent Saturday. And then we, we go crazy for Easter. And, and again, I just, I started to realize, man, I, I feel like I have muscle memory when it comes to resurrection. Hmm. I have muscle memory when it comes to Palm Sunday. I, I have this sense of, but the, the lead up and the space of waiting, I have nothing. Hmm. I, and so then all of a sudden, you know, you have 2020 hits or 2018 for me personally, right. it hits and, you know, all stress does is it, it exposes in Tim Keller language, your, your counterfeit God, where you have put your trust. Right. And so I think that the desert, which comes from the, the concept of the deserted place, when you feel forsaken and forgotten, or you feel like you are in such a liminal space between here and there, what will you do? Where will you turn? Mm. Do you actually believe that God is with you? And I think for me, um, learning to not hate the weight and learning not to waste the weight, but learning to actually, okay, here's, here's the steps I can take to win the weight, Mm -hmm. um, to, to really go through a season that was so uncertain um, you know, you, you, and again, you, you, you find yourself familiar with the Exodus story and you, and you realize God just kept giving them just enough. And even when they leave Egypt, as some scholars have said, you know, it's one thing to leave Egypt, but it's another thing to have Egypt leave you Right. and realizing, oh, there's stuff that I needed to learn. And there was a lot of stuff I needed to relearn and unlearn to actually prepare me for what God had in store for me. And so it's, it was a a really sanctifying, transforming, um, wrestling with my own inner 
critic and demons and struggles yeah. and and yet realizing and recognizing some really beautiful things still grow in the in the hot forgotten desert and right. so it's really really just um yeah a time i will cherish uh for many many seasons to come mm -hmm. yeah so for us perfectionist types thinking about going into the desert it could be like so daunting right we want to have especially i feel and you kind of talk about this in your book, but it feels like perfectionism and control oftentimes are connected and go hand in hand. So we're like, yeah, right. I'm staying away from the desert at all costs. Um, and then knowing too, that not everyone is going to move or, or uproot right now. What would you say to like the people, the perfectionist people pleasers that are like afraid of the desert, but may want to start to approach some of that and dip their toe into the sand a little bit. Yeah, that's a great question. And I totally, I, I get the, the luxury that we had to, to be able to, to move to the desert. Um, and, and I, I think, I think the, the one thing I would say is the desert will find you. Yeah. Um, it, it just will. And, and it might come at the, the death of a parent. Um, it might come with, um, you've put yourself out there in a relationship and someone has just chosen to walk away, it might come through some form of trauma or an unmet expectation or yeah. desire. So, so the desert um, is right around you, no matter if you live in Tuscaloosa, Columbus, mm -hmm. or in Idaho, yeah. um, it, it, it's, it's, it's metaphorical. So it, it is something to actually um, begin to go, Hey, I'm not, I, when I'm experiencing something, uh, when I, when I, when I'm experiencing a disappointment, what do I do with that? Yeah. Am I going to actually walk with Christ through this? Um, and so I, 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 most Sunday nights and Monday mornings, um, I, I, I try and have a practice because, you know, Proverbs four says, you know, above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from it. Mm -hmm. And, and again, I, I think for many of us, especially perfectionists, we get caught up in what we do, what we yeah. create, uh, what we make, what we, what, 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 like, whether it's a meal or the way something looks or uh, something that we have just put out into the world. And we often bypass what's actually going on in our heart. And mm -hmm. so um, when I think about above all else, guard your heart, I, I have a couple of practices. One is I just play it back. The one thing that we're all similar in is that we've all been given 168 hours in a week. And so yeah. I play back and I, I, I reflect, was there a place and a time or a moment in the last week where I did not guard my heart? And something came out, some, I, I stonewalled, I, I didn't actually name my desire. Uh, I just was sad and I escaped or I fell into temptation and I didn't want to confess. So I just, I just take a moment and I'm not looking necessarily of like what I did wrong. I'm trying to ask myself, what was at the root that caused me? What was the emotion? Yeah, so, you right. know, there's, it's why there's like movement and motion to our feelings, emotion. Like there, I want to know what was happening in me. So I yeah. play it back and then I look ahead and I begin to play it out. Let's say in the next 168 hours, I find myself in a similar situation. How will I do it differently? 
So I just, I just almost like practice. I almost imagine Jesus beside me as my rabbi. And he's just saying, okay, okay. Now you're in this situation again. You haven't eaten or it didn't go the way you wanted, or there was a sense of sadness. What's the most kingdom minded, true to you way to respond? And I just reflect on that because I'm going to be put in that situation again. I just want to have a little bit of practice. So I play it back. I play it out. And then if you think about it, it says above all else, guard your heart because everything flows from it. So I got to, I got to play it back. I got to play it out. And then thirdly, I got to play it smart because I got to know how am I refueling my heart? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I look in the, I look ahead in the week and I go, okay, what am I going to do this week to ensure that my heart is full? So what comes out of it is actually the good stuff. So I play right. it back, play it out, play it smart. And then lastly, I just make a commitment to play it honest. Um, and it's hard sometimes for us guys. And it's definitely hard for us as perfectionists when, mm-hmm. Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, no, 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 no. Like how to play it honest with being able to identify what's really going on in here. Yeah. And the more that you can identify what's going on in here, the more that you can open yourself up to not trying to bypass the desert or bypass the feeling mm-hmm. by what you do and make by, but by honoring all of the feelings that are happening within you. And so mm-hmm. that's just a little something that I try and do once a week. That's been super helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. I'll put that in the show notes too, at the end is a little recap. Cause I think that that's really helpful for us to think about our own rhythms and patterns. But I also appreciated that you said the desert will find you because, you know, even for me, when I asked that question, I was realizing like, oh, I'm trying to make this a little bit like a checklist, you know, like, okay, what do I need to do to like dip my toes into the desert? And yes, like you said, the desert will find, will find us in wherever we are in, in circumstances of our lives and whatever geographical location we're in. But to know that there are things, there is, there is room for the, for some checklist things in our spiritual walks, like you just talked us through, but then also there's the open-handedness. So how do you balance the checklist and the, the open-handedness, the letting go of control? Because I think sometimes for me, I want to just hang on and control things so much um, that then I feel like it has to be one or the other, but it's like a marriage between the two. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I think, I think oftentimes on where we put our trust is in the wrong, um, the kind of the wrong motivation or the spirit yeah. in it. Yeah. And so there was a, there was an Olympic runner. He was running on, uh, he got on a motorcycle crashed, like really messed up his knee, came back and actually was running faster times. And so everyone was like, this guy's got to be using steroids, like Balco investigation was happening at the time. Like what, what is going on? And they interviewed him. They said, why are you running faster times? And he said, before I was only focused on my time now, post accident, all I am focused on is my process my routine. Mm. And I trust that the result will take care of itself. So, and if you think, if you think about healthy formational practices, uh, like a rule of life, or Mm. they, they, they saw it as kind of like a lattice, you know, and it was just the thing that would support and it'd be this structure so that the vine could grow properly and bear the best kind of fruit. Mm -hmm. That's what you want. You want something that's going to help 
guide you and, and create a little stability when mm-hmm. the wind comes, the circumstances come, the, the frustration comes that you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's something that you're trusting that the more that I keep the remain thing, the main thing, the more that I lean into Christ, um, the more that I trust that the best results will come. So for me, if a structure isn't breeding freedom, it's the wrong structure. Mm-hmm. If the structure isn't leading to more peace, it's the wrong structure. If yeah. it's if the structure is not actually helping me embody grace or unconditional love, it's the wrong structure. Mm-hmm. So if it's just about goals and results, um, they're not bad, but that's not going to be sustainable mm-hmm. long term. Right. So, so again, for me, it's just, I have to check the motivation. I have to check the desire, uh, but just ask myself, oh, that's, you know, sometimes just be really kind to myself. Like, ah, oh, Steve, I see what you tried to do there. You tried to qualify and quantify it in some efficient practice. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But is it really leading to freedom and peace and mm-hmm. grace and love? Um, no, it's not. It's leading yeah. to something else. So that's, it's just, it's a little like healthy interrogation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of these things that you're talking about are in your book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, which I, like I said, I loved it. I've got it all highlighted and underlined and all the things, but for people that haven't heard about the book, will you just give us a quick little synopsis and and what inspired you to write it? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, there's that passage that Paul writes in Romans where he basically just says, I don't understand what I do. The good I want to do, I just don't do. And the thing I hate, I do, which feels just so profoundly human to me. Like, I think we've all had the moments like, why did I say that to my kid? Like, why, why did I get caught up in this like perfectionist cycle? Like, why, man, why did that come out of me? And, and again, this is Paul who writes the majority of the New Testament. And we're also living in a time where, you know, people have acted or said or behaved in a way that, um, there's been profound repercussions and it's not like somebody yeah. could just get up and be like, you know, I don't understand why I did that. The good I want to do, I just didn't do. And the thing I hate, I did. Um, yeah. Can I get up and preach again? You know, you're like, mm-hmm. uh, I think with where we are at when it comes to emotional intelligence with tr- complex trauma, with a parts of our story, um, there's a responsibility for every one of us to tend to those parts mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't add shame or, or pain, but really helps us understand a little bit more of why we do what we do. And so my whole hope was to help kind of merge theology with a little kind of therapy with um, a bunch of like practical storytelling to really help people and, and some practices to really help people go, Oh, I, I, I get a little sense of why I did this or why I said this or why mm-hmm. I acted in this and things in an acronym. It's uh, oftentimes what happens is we get triggered and triggered is kind of the, the setup that sets us off. And, and that's, that's often connected to some wound and it's really God's kindness that, He's bringing that to the surface to, to help us show us that there's some healing that needs to happen, but we often bypass that healing and we choose a, to hide out, you know, some, some metaphorical place that we go to escape, or we choose insecurity and we kind of create a false story about ourselves. We power down, or sometimes we even power up right. or we create a, a false narrative where someone says something and we're like, all oh, those people, you know, it's just, we, we have a narrative about them. 
And there was a word I really learned in the, in the desert that I wasn't familiar with, to be honest, it wasn't really connected to, you know, my, my faith tradition in what, in the churches that I went to, but it was a word called sanctification. And, yeah. and for me, it was kind of like my heart was to try and make this word uh, sexy again, in the sense of helping people understand that there's a spiritual process to helping us become whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And, yeah. and so that's kind of the heart of the book, helping us understand what triggers us, where we go in hiding insecurity and narratives and the practices required so that grace can actually make us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anyone has not read the book, you've got to check it out. That's just the tip of the iceberg and it's mm-hmm. just incredible. And in it too, Steve, you talk about your own story of, you know, dealing with some people pleasing and perfectionism, some performance kind of stuff that many of us listening totally uh, can say we're in the boat as well. But what has been your, you mentioned like as a kid, like making decisions out of kind of a people pleasing mentality. Um, But then obviously, as I watch your story from afar, read your books and, and hear your messages and just see how you have made some choices to stand for the you, you do maybe not just some choices, your life tells a story of standing for the oppressed, standing for people on the margins and not, I see you as like the furthest from people pleasing possible, right? Like you have obviously had this beautiful journey unfold. So as you kind of look back to childhood, Steve, and where you are now, what, how would you kind of summarize that journey especially in dealing with like people pleasing and perfectionism and what have been like maybe some key moments or experiences that really were transformative for you in that, in that journey? Well, that's a great question. I, I think it's really hard because there, you know, David never set out to fight Goliath. Yeah. Right. And so all, all he was, was a shepherd boy. And, and, it, and it's pretty amazing. You know, he's just, his job was to stay up late at night and, and actually protect the sheep. And, you know, he, a bear comes, the scripture says, and he fights yeah. a bear and a lion comes and he fights a lion. And he has no idea that by being faithful when nobody is watching mm. is actually giving him this inner fortitude to handle something that people who were wildly more trained, have way more um, age or wisdom or pedigree um, that you would assume would be the first to charge that um, don't. Mm -hmm. And so they either bypass that work or they let fear kind of be channeled through their bones and, and that, and held their life in check. And and I, I, I think um, there, there have been a couple moments that I, I realized if I hadn't done that, mm. I wouldn't have been able to do X, right? right. And so, so one of them, um, I have, um, I think we all have like some, some tricky, you know, family relationships, you know, somewhere, um, no family's perfect, but mm-hmm. I, I, I had a really, really difficult relationship. And I think for me, part of it was I tried to people please it and Mm -hmm. I would like shut down. I could, I just, I, I like, I would just disappear. I'd get lost in, you know, television when I was at the person's house. I just, 
and I, I, I didn't know how to access what I desired from the relationship and what was actually um, my experience and my reality from the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I had to set up some boundaries and I had mm-hmm. to actually engage that. And by doing that, doing what I, in my opinion, was probably the hardest thing that I had ever done up until that point, which again, showcases the privilege that I've had in my story, not saying it's been perfect, but like that thing, like I, I faced it, Mm -hmm. I faced it. And, and then all of a sudden when like allegations come up against my mentor of, you know, sexual abuse and, and abuse of power. And I mean, I, I felt in a situation where there was no literal win. There wasn't, mm-hmm. there was no win. Like if, if I do one thing, um, I hurt the women who bravely brought their allegations forward and their stories of abuse forward. And if, if I do another thing, like I, 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 I leave a congregation and a dream job and I have people I love. If, if, I, if I do another thing, like you, you just start playing it. Yeah. And, and what do you do when there's no ultimate win? You can't make everybody happy. Yeah. And so all of a sudden with this one relationship that I confronted years before, mm-hmm. it was just that person that I'm having to address. Now I'm in a situation where any decision I make has collateral damage or is open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, to be honest, Carly, it freaked me out. It just, uh, yeah. and, and every, every decision had a cost relationally, mm-hmm. financially. Yeah. Uh, and so, so then all of a sudden it forces you to have to have, what is the higher value? Yeah. What, what's above that? Because if it's just making everybody happy, man, that is a rat race. That's going to kill your soul. Totally. And my grandfather, biological father, he, his dad is buried at West point and um, and so I got really like connected to kind of his story. Like I went and visited his like tombstone and saw like he played football and lacrosse is like an all American. And I just was fascinated by the leader that he was supposedly. And, um, and I, I came across at West point that a chaplain during the time that my grandfather was there began to teach all of the cadets, what is known as the cadets prayer. And it's mm-hmm. you, 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 anyone listening, you should Google the cadets prayer from West point, but there's a line in there that says, may we be more committed to the harder, right. Than the lesser wrong. Ooh, I love that. And I, I just, there was something of going, Oh my goodness. Um, may we tell the whole truth. Um, like it's, it's all just on character and integrity. And you're reading this prayer and I just, I, it became something that I, I like held on to. So, um, you, we can debate over what was right, but every one of us is going to have a moment where we have to choose a harder, right? Mm-hmm. A harder, right. When we experience a sense of racism, um, and you're like, I should probably say something or yeah. when we sense, like, I need to have a crucial conversation or, oh my goodness, that person didn't follow through, or I have a check in my spirit and I need to ask them a question or, man, I really feel like there's an intervention. There's, there's all these moments of harder, right? We've just been conditioned for the lesser wrong. 
It's not mm-hmm. that bad. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's, it's not, I mean, it, it's not meth. You know what I mean? Like we, we like, we, we've made socially acceptable, like plateau. Yeah. And I, th- what I just realized long story to get to this one point, I'm sorry, but like, no, it's great. This piece of, I had to choose the harder right with this family relationship Yeah, and being able to engage that gave me the muscle memory and mm-hmm. the power to be able to choose the harder right when it felt like I had everything to lose. Mm-hmm. And in that, to experience a sense of connectedness to Christ, um, a connectedness to the kingdom of people came around me, like, and yeah. were very, very kind. Um, and some weren't, but like the majority of people were like, mm-hmm. and, but to be able to recognize, like, I consciously had to make that decision for what I believed was the harder right. Yeah. And that, and so it just, for me, that's kind of how, um, it, it, the math worked in my brain. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So in the, in the season, when you had to make that very difficult public decision, which I so admired how you handled that. And I know it had to be excruciating to make that kind of decision. What did you learn about God? in that trial, in that hardship that you had never learned before about God and and God's faithfulness, God's character, what comes to mind? Yeah, there's, there's this, there's a kind of a, a little formational arc and it's, it kind of works on three S's, simple, struggle, sacred. Hmm. And so like, we love simple, you know, Twitter tweetable phrases, you know, God is with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Yeah. Like, oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, like be strong and courageous, you know. Uh, like, yeah, I love that. Well, then all of a sudden, like, this is a simple phrase. And then all of a sudden it goes through a fire, mm-hmm. like a, a dumpster fire. Um, yeah. a, a circumstances that you could have never predicted. And you're like, Yeah, is he with me? Is he is is he here? Like, is I mean, I know, I know, I know everybody says God's got this, but you really have this. Yeah. And, and if you can go through that process and that struggle and begin to discover a God who is with you and a God who is for you Mm -hmm. and a God who never leaves you nor forsakes you, and you can discover, oh my goodness, what it means to actually be strong and courageous. Like, yeah, it moves from a simple truth through the struggle to become wildly sacred and profound. And then you say that. And when you say it, there is a weight to it because Mm -hmm. your life has embodied the suffering to get to the other side. And, and I, and I think, uh, why so many of us in 2020 during COVID, some of the best didn't come out of us is because this was a whole bunch of people who had a whole bunch of simple truths who didn't know how to actually walk through the fire and, right. and watch them hold up. And some people did, but like other ones where that simple truth, or I could escape here or escape with this or run to this chose those places, whether in hideouts or insecurities or even mm-hmm. narratives, when that becomes sacred to you, then all of a sudden you begin to recognize like, that's not going to hold up. That's not going to, that's not actually going to, going to be, um, 
as John Orberg says, you know, a, a bottle of wine will bring a level of peace to your body, but it's not going to make you a person of peace. There's just a difference, right? So like, so there, there's these escapes that people ran to because they didn't think that simple truth could hold up. And it, and it identified where and what was sacred to them. What was their idol, their counterfeit God there. And I, I just have found myself looking at a lot of these little truths, these simple truths, and just seeing, oh, wow this goes deep, this goes yeah. really deep. And, and many, many, many of them have become profoundly sacred. Mm, yeah. So when you're talking about that, I was remembering Rock Shazak. Yes. Right. Like that's the be strong and courageous. That's right. That's yes. right. And you, when you were at our church, you talked about that. And by the end, you had our whole congregation on our feet, just yelling <laughs> Rock Shazak. And it was something that I think will be imprinted on all of us for so, so long because it was memorable and it really gave such a weight and a gravity to those words that we like see on Hobby Lobby signs. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. then it, we, it, we let that settle in and that profound invitation from God to be strong and courageous, really sink into our souls and go, whoa, this is bigger than just a cute little typeface on a card uh, on like a piece of wood. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, and that's, and that's the beautiful piece, right? That's, that's a great example of that, you know, because that was a simple truth, you know, it, it was a, it was something I'd seen before. And, and then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, this was the battle cry of the Hebrew nation. This is, yeah. this is something that Joshua is having to reflect on God says it to him three times in four verses when he's the guy who has to replace Moses. And he's like, yeah. I can't do this. I can't do this. And, and God's like, no, yeah, of course you can't, but like in me, you can, so you just gotta be strong, courageous in me. And, and, and that became this anthem. And, and that's one of the pieces I, I tell people all the time is you gotta have an anthem. You know, there's so many pastors and, and, and Christians who, I mean, and they're sincere, but I'm like, Hey, what's, what's your anthem? And they'll tell me their church's vision. And I'm like, no, 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 no. What's like your vision for how you're going to grow into a more abundant and flourishing life in this season. Yeah. And, and so rock Shazak for six months was mine. Um, after that was keep the remain thing, the main thing. And, um, the last year has been a life anchored in Jesus is one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose and nothing to hide. And so mm. once you have a vision, then it's like, what are the practices that I can actually put so that I can learn to embody this yeah. and not just simply know it, but when the fire comes and it will, I can actually go, man, I I've chosen a voluntary discomfort of practice so that I can be ready and have these sacred weighty truths mm -hmm. to, to really hold uh, onto, uh, in, in the face of a storm. Yeah. Another thing in the book that you talked about was the, the redwoods and how mm. they're so interconnected and it, you used it as like a picture of, of community and of the church. And right now, when there are so many people that are disgusted with the church, frustrated, hurt, rightfully so by the church, or just see the church as not really having much to offer these days, um, what would be your, what is like the picture you could talk about the Redwoods if you want, but what, what about the church 
do you see as continuing to be so important and so vital? And for people that are listening that maybe have been like, I haven't been to church in a year. I don't know if it's relevant to me anymore. Like what would be some of your words of encouragement to those people? Yeah, well, I, I think I would say um, there's some there's some systems within how church is structured today that isn't what I think was intended. So right. we can we can we can definitely call that out, right? Right. I think that a lot of times when people are super frustrated or angry at the church, I, I'm not going to give any shade to anyone who you know kind of uses the language like the church hurt me like yeah like i i i what you have to to work through and process through like more freedom and mm -hmm. and grace and however i could help I, I i'm with you in that right i would say though like for me willow didn't hurt me and willow's a church it didn't hurt me mm -hmm. five people did mm. so sometimes so sometimes I had to do the work to say, oh, no, 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 that wasn't, that wasn't actually big C church. That wasn't even little C church. It was the five people that represented the yeah. little C church. And I have some issues with them that I have right. to work on because in my opinion, they didn't fulfill their duty or responsibility. Yeah. And I have to, I have to do the work in my heart because if I actually believe that reconciliation is possible and there's no mm -hmm. such thing as irreconcilable differences, then I have to do my work so that my heart is ready if they've ever done their work to show up to the table. So, so mm -hmm. I would just say in this regard, if you've been hurt by Big C Church, and I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, I don't totally probably understand fully what that might look like. Yeah. Um, but I, I can imagine all of us have been hurt when it comes to the church with by a few people yeah, and, and how to work on that. So, so now, so like, so name that, pray through that, do what you got to do. Talk to a therapist yeah, or safe, right. safe person who can hold space. So I've had to work on that, but here's the other side of it is if I look at my life, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, it was a little church in Camarillo, California, Ventura County that I watched some old guards and, you know, some families and uh, an incredible youth pastor and two high school juniors when I was in seventh grade who took me under their wing. And I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for not the big C church, not even the little C church, but five to 10 people who actually took me under their wing. So right. I have the blessing of the, of my experience. And I also have the curse of my experience. Both are true. So what I realized is, um, the easiest thing to do is to try and say, well, I just, I don't need any of these people just do it on your own. Mm. Like, and I get it. If you're an introvert, that's probably like the most appealing thing ever. And it's probably the safest thing ever. But like, if I would have done that, I would have missed out on Dominic and Nathan and Rob and Hal and you know I, I would have missed out on on the Marshall family and I would have missed out on just so many people I would have missed out on meeting you and, mm. and so like like there's there's so much I would have missed out on which brings me to the Redwoods 
Yes. And Santa Cruz, California is one of my favorite places. It's a quirky town, some great breakfast burritos, amazing <laughs> waves. And what's unique about it is a mile and a half from where you can surf is some insane redwood forests. And these redwoods are, you know, some of the oldest trees on the planet. They're 300 to 400 feet tall. I mean, it's insane. And what, what really moved me was that fact that like in the 1700s, uh, people in England thought that you could plant a redwood by itself. And they just would like, oh, I put a redwood in the front yard and, and then a storm would come and this tree would fall down. Hmm. And they couldn't understand why until they started to study its roots. And you'd think a 300, you know, foot tree up in the air, like its roots would go down a hundred feet, but it doesn't, it only goes down nine to 12. But what it does is it goes out a hundred feet to find the nearest redwood and they interlock and they actually mm -hmm. share nutrients. And I'm going to sound really woo woo here, but like what they found is these redwoods actually talk to each other. Hmm. So in a culture that is moving towards more isolation, yeah. uh, we have this profound example where one redwood will be growing, it's interlocked to another redwood. And when that redwood's sick, it says something. And all of a sudden that redwood's tree stops growing and it begins to send nutrients to the other redwood. Wow. And it's, it's literally a picture of a Greek word which is alelon, A-L-L-E-L-O-N. And alelon is where we get the phrase one another or each other. And it's used about a hundred times in the New Testament. So pray for one another, forgive mm. one another, love one another, be compassionate to each other. And Andy Stanley has this great line. He says, the primary purpose of the local church is one anothering one another. Mm. And this is, this is what I think when we remove ourselves, it's all self-preservation. Cause I don't, yeah. I don't want to experience what those five people did to me, Yeah. but if I do that, I also miss out on what these 25 people did for good in my life Yeah. and what I got to do for other people. And so it's just a, it, it it's a calculated risk. It's a right. calculated risk, but I think it's one in which, uh, you bear the best kind of fruit because Christianity and discipleship was never meant to be a solo sport, mm -hmm. but I totally get it. I totally mm -hmm. get it. If you don't have a place where people are not safe and they're not actually respecting where you're at in your journey, or they don't know how to help you grieve or hold space for you and your disappointment or sadness. I get mm -hmm. why isolation might be uh, the best step for a season, but I will just tell you um, it can't be a forever season. Yeah. It's just, it's just not going to, not going to be the best for your heart, your mind, your body, your soul. Uh, because deep down you, you're someone who wants to embody goodness and grace and peace and freedom and love. And that's what you were created to do. And, um, what that requires is putting yourself out there and, mm -hmm. um, it's tricky though. It's tricky. Yeah. Right. Yes. I appreciate that a lot because I think you're right. If we can pull back and see that it's may not be the church capital C or a small C, but those people, maybe those people and in any sort of relationship, and relationships, friendships, working relationships inside and outside the church, there's there, because we're all human, there is possibility for, for hurt. And so not letting the, the pain, the hardship stop us from continuing to connect, continuing to invest. And yeah, it's going to take discernment and it will take 
healing, but finding those people on the road um, to help with the healing process, because we can't heal just like the Redwoods. We can't heal in isolation. We can't do it alone. That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. So Steve, totally switching gears. You talked earlier about being a mega sports fan. Okay. So what are, who are your teams? Um, I'm biggest Michigan fan, uh, Chicago Cubs, um, unfortunately Chicago bears fan in the season. Um, <laughs> so, and yeah, I like the LA Clippers. So, uh, yeah, okay. so I'm all over the place. Okay. And you played, you played basketball in college, right? I, I mean, play is not the right word. I, I was on the team. I sat the bench. I got free shoes. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I love awesome. the game of basketball. And you have a, you have two podcasts. Yeah. I have a crafting character, which is all on the craft of communication, but ensuring mm-hmm. that our character leads the way. And then yes. I um, have one that's a little, it's, a, it's, it's on hiatus because actually my two co-hosts are pretty big deals at ESPN right now. And, um, and so it's, it's kind of on hiatus, but, uh, it was called the home team and it was with Sam Ponder, Sam Macho. And it was always talking about the intersection between faith, sports, and culture, kind of using sports as a prop to talk about something deeper. Yeah, that's great. So people can find both of those on iTunes and on Spotify and everything. Okay. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So we have two different segments that we usually end with. One of them is a celebration moment where I just ask my guests to celebrate themselves in this season, because sometimes we're like, you mentioned the inner critic earlier. It's easy to uh, tune into the inner critic more than we tune into the voice of celebration. So Steve, how can you celebrate you in this season of your life? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this week, um, actually is the one year anniversary of the thing beneath the thing. And Mm. so that's, I mean, I think, I think for me, it's, it's actually done better than I thought it would do. And it's been fun to watch it help people. And, um, I think, yeah, it's, I don't take it lightly that, um, you get to put something out into the world and people actually, uh, with their hard earned money, get to go and, and purchase it and begin to apply that to their, to their life. And, and so it's just a, I feel like, yeah, you had an idea and you put it out there and it was seemingly helpful for people yes. and, um, really, really fun. That is very cool. Well, I celebrate that with you too. That's awesome. And then, okay. Our face palm moment. So, what is an embarrassing story, some sort of mishap, some sort of glitchy situation in your life that, that you can just look back on and laugh now? Yeah. I mean, I have a whole bunch of them, to be honest. I, <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I think there's, there's a ton. I, the first one that came to my mind was, um, okay. So we can just talk like really, really candidly. Um, I worked at this church, Willow, you mentioned the name. Um, and, and it was, um, I mean, it was just, it, there was a lot of resources that came in. And so, um, we had a service and, you know, Carly, you've had to do this in a service where, you know, you're like, you're coming up after a worship song, you're doing a prayer. And then like, you gotta like set up communion. And then there's like a choir that's going to pop out and you got to walk into the next song and you gotta, you gotta set up another moment and then you gotta do all this. You gotta do all this stuff. And then you gotta do announcements and they gotta set up the pastor. So I like, I had one of those weekends where I, I just had a lot to go through and I, I sat down and the pastor, uh, founding pastor is teaching and I sat down and, 
And the guy beside me is like, bro, you, you crushed that. I was like, Oh dude, thanks man. Like, that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. I'm sitting there and I'm like three minutes in. And then the person who's uh, kind of the director of all of the volunteers was like offering question mark and texted it to me and the executive producer. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had forgotten the offering. And so um, let's just say like, that's probably a $160,000 mistake. Oh no. And I'm having a full on panic attack. Like oh. just in the sense of like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get fired. Like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And, and I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this. This is crazy. <laughs> I'm like, we got to put something out on the television, like so that the pastor can see it, make an announcement. And he like, nothing happens. He doesn't see it. And he's, he's wrapping up the service. And I'm like, somebody's got to do something. Oh no. And, it, and an old lady stands up at the very end of the service and she has a check in her hand and she screams out, you're not going to let me give. Oh my word. And the, the pastor's like, what? You're not going to let me give. <laughs> you're not going to let me be generous. And, and all of a sudden he's like, what do you mean? nobody get me take the offering and oh, like this no. 80 year old woman <laughs> and and the pastor's like who forgot to take the offering and then <laughs> everyone looks at me and i just raise my hand and the whole place i mean we're talking about you know five thousand people literally laughing their heads off and oh my word and, and so the pastor's like come on up and i come up and i'm like this is the you know christian walk of shame right here and and i i I just lead people in and they showed that clip at the next two services. But I will say this, (laughs) that one woman spurred on, in my opinion, uh, in a church that didn't make mistakes, a church where there was like such excellence. It like, it like actually, um, it actually worked to my benefit because someone was like, I like him because he screws up too, like me, which was awesome. But what it did was it, yeah. it, it showcased, here's a woman who wanted to give and it like spurred on a level of generosity where they paid off the building. They paid off their debt. It was, um, yeah, all things are redeemable and restorable, but it was yes. a, it was a tough 35 minutes for me when I was sitting there going, <laughs> I can't believe this. So yeah, that's amazing. But I love that the 80 year old woman, she forget the prompts on the video screen or anything. She was the one to just make it all move forward. Yeah. That's amazing. Yes. I love that. And you're right. People are like, Oh, I've seen Steve preach and he's incredible. And then, but that moment of going, Oh, he's a human, just like me. There's something about that in leadership and in, in our relationships that is just really bonding and unifying. And I think that's, that's awesome. Yep. 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 (laughs) That's so great. Good. Well, Steve, is there anything else that you want to share with us about ditching perfection before we sign off today? No, I just, I, I think all I would simply say is just rest in the reality that you have so much good within you mm-hmm. and nothing that you could ever do would be perfect or that you will have arrived the side of heaven. So just exhale and yeah. walk with a little more grace and a little more peace and more love and a little bit more like Jesus and, and watch how you begin to see the Christ in another as that person recognizes the Christ at work in you. So it's been an honor to be with you, friend. Truly. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you. Awesome. Grace and peace.
Wow, you guys, wasn't that such a great conversation? Oh my word. I am just so truly grateful for Steve and all that he shared with us. And I just feel like I was incredibly impacted during the conversation, but also the things that Steve shared will continue to impact me as I follow Jesus for years and years to come. Steve is truly a leader that Mike and I deeply respect and one that we have learned so much from and want to continue to learn from. It's kind of wild when (laughs) someone who I saw from a distance who became a great role model in ministry, it's wild that now he's a friend, but I'm just so thankful um, that that he truly lives out everything that he teaches. Uh, as As I have seen him on on stages and platforms all around the country. I've also seen him across the the lunch table be that same true guy of integrity and honor and someone who is passionate about following Jesus and inviting others into the great restoration story. So I'm just so thankful, so thankful to be connected. And I hope that you will connect with Steve as well. After hearing this episode, you can find him on Instagram at Steve Ryan Carter. And let me tell you, you'll want to follow him and can and continue learning from him. But here are our key takeaways today from this episode. And there were so many, (laughs) I couldn't narrow them down. So here you go. Here's a, here's a solid list of key takeaways. Number one, I just loved this quote that he shared from Henry Nouwen, the Christ in you recognizes the Christ in me. May that be the case among us, right? Number two, there are some things that you cannot achieve your way out of, you can only grieve your way through. Number three, be courageous to name your desires. Number four, we oftentimes want to avoid the desert at all costs, but the desert will find us. Number five, stress reveals where you have put your trust. Number six, don't hate the weight or waste the win, but take steps to win the weight. Number seven, keep the remain thing, the main thing. I love that. That's such a memorable line that reminds us to abide in Jesus. Number eight. If the structure that we have created for ourselves in connecting with God isn't breeding freedom, peace, embodying grace, and unconditional love, it's the wrong structure. God always brings freedom, peace, grace, and unconditional love. And sometimes the molds that we try to place God in take those things away. So if that's the case, let's look at our structure and and find a better way, a more faithful, loving way to connect with God, one that's not full of shame or checklists. Number nine, God is inviting us to be whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. Number 10, your obedience in present circumstances will help you be able to build muscle for other major decisions in the future. Number 11, oftentimes seasons of struggle Move scripture from simplicity to sacred. Number 12, we need each other. We cannot forge our way to health and wholeness alone. 
And number 13, I hope you hear this loud and clear. You have so much good within you. Today, as we think about our prayer prompts, I was so struck by Steve's sharing of the West Point Cadet Prayer. And may this be our prayer. May this be something that we repeat over and over in the days to come. God, make us to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. And then in addition, Steve talked about the scripture from Proverbs 4 that says, above all else, guard your heart because everything flows from it. And so the practice that he shared that he does, I would love for us to practice as well. So each week at the beginning of the week, let's, first of all, number one, like he said, play it back. Ask the question, in the last week, did I guard my heart? And if not, maybe what was the root of some sort of behavior that we weren't necessarily proud of? What, what was that root? Play it back. Ask the questions. Number two, play it out. And in so asking, how, how will I do it differently this next time? And practice with your imagination. What is the most kingdom-minded, true way for you to respond, true to you way for you to respond to a circumstance? The same circumstance that maybe you didn't handle as well the week before. What would you want to do differently? And number three, play it smart. And the question that he asked is, what am I going to do this week to ensure that my heart is full? I love that. And number four, this is so important. Play it honest. Identify what's really going on. Don't bypass the feelings and honor it. And be honest and authentic. And finally, I know there's a lot of prayer prompts this week, but I just love this last one. What is your anthem? Like what is the driving vision in this season of your life? We all need that. We all need clarity as to why we're doing what we're doing. Clarity to continue to run after all that God has for us. And so I love that Steve shared that he's had many different anthems in seasons of his life. And as I was thinking about it for me, I was thinking, I think my anthem for this season is faithfulness over flawlessness. I shared that a couple weeks ago on the episode with Dr. Mike Kipp, and I've just been processing that and thinking about that so much that I really feel like God is inviting me and inviting all of us, but especially for me, this is my focus to be faithful instead of trying to be flawless. Well, I want to let you know, my friends, that next week we are kicking off our Enneagram series. I'm so excited about this. A few months ago, I put out an Instagram poll asking what you most wanted to hear on the podcast in the future. And the overwhelming majority of you said you'd love a series on the Enneagram. So we are doing it. Let's go. <laughs> but in case you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it is a personality typing system that can help us better understand ourselves, others, and our relationship with God. It is a tool to keep in our tool belt to help us understand our motivations and our fears and our desires. But please hear me. It's not the tool. It is a tool to help us as we pursue wholeness in Jesus. But I will just say I've been so grateful for how God has used the Enneagram to help me better understand myself 
And when I read Enneagram resources about my type or listen to podcasts, I'm like, oh my word, that is me. And sometimes the Enneagram has been able to put to words things that I've been feeling, but never have known how to fully like, or concisely, let's be honest, explain. And so I'm just really thankful for the Enneagram and the self-reflection that is, it has led me into that has then deepened my relationship with God and helped me more faithfully connect with other people in my life. So next week, we are launching into the Enneagram series and my friend Carissa Harrison is going to be here and she's an Enneagram coach and she's going to give us an overview of the Enneagram, the nine types and how perfectionism and people pleasing show up uniquely with each type. It's not just the Enneagram one that's called a perfectionist that may struggle. I mean, all of the nine types have some sort of root of perfectionism or people pleasing or a drive to perform that we'll talk about. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm just so excited about it. I hope that you are too. But also you don't have to wait until next week to get all of this started because this Friday on my email list, I am sending out some fantastic resources about how the Enneagram can serve as a tool to help in our relationship with God. And I'm also going to link to a super reliable Enneagram assessment that Carissa sent to me. And it's something that will help you better understand where you may land in the Enneagram typing neighborhoods. <laughs> so yeah, you may find out, are you a nine, a peacemaker or a seven, which is an enthusiast, or are you a three, which is a performer? There are nine different types. And if you've never taken the assessment, I highly recommend that you do that before we dive into the Enneagram series next week. And I will, in my email list, send out a link to a, like I said, reliable and free resource from my friend, Carissa Harrison. Well, as always, if this episode has been impactful for you, please share it with a friend. I'd really appreciate you spreading the word about the Ditching Perfection podcast. And I do believe that all of these incredible guests have something powerful to share with the world. Well, I look forward to seeing you next week. Literally, literally can't wait to dive into the Enneagram series with you.